Good morning. My name is Josh Cheney, and I'm the pastor here at the Duntown Advent Christian Church. As a church, God has called us together uh, to, to love Him, to love others, and to make disciples. And while we don't do any of these three things perfectly, uh, our hope is that we're doing them better today than we did them yesterday. And by God's grace, we will learn to do them better tomorrow than, than we're doing them today. If you'd like to come alongside of us and, and learn with us as we practice these things, as we try and, and do these things together, uh, we'd love to have you uh, join in with us in, in any way. My contact information, as well as the contact information for the church, is there on the screen. Feel free to reach out to us if there's any way at all that, that we can help uh, come alongside you in your uh, walk towards God, or if there is a need that we can help fill. Uh, if, if you are hungry, if your house is cold, if your gas tank is empty, uh, we would love to be able to show you God's love by, by assisting you with that need. So again, if there's anything that we can do for you as a church family, please don't hesitate to, to reach out to us. This is from Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his, hands, in his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for his made it, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker.
So I'd like to begin our time in prayer this morning uh, by reading from 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 6, where it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. I think that it's important for us to remember that um, prayer is ultimately an expression of humility, an expression of the fact that we don't have all of the answers. We don't, uh, we don't understand, and, and even if we did, we don't have the power, we don't have the authority to be able to, to, be able to fix any of the things that are wrong in this world. Um, and so when we come before God in prayer, uh, we first are, are admitting our, our smallness. We are first admitting the fact that we don't really have any control over the things that happen. But we're going before God as the one who does. He does have control over everything that happens. There isn't anything that happens that's outside of his control. Uh, and so, and even more than that, he has the power. He has the ability to change anything in this world that he can. And he doesn't always answer our prayers in the ways that we would like. Um, some of you have prayed for, uh, for healing. You've prayed for uh, the, the healing of bodies or the healing of relationships, and, and that hasn't been granted. But we can trust, we can continue to believe that God is good. And even though we can't see how those things that, that, that we were asking for um, that, that weren't answered can be good, we trust that he is working all things together, as it says in, in Romans 8, working all things together for the, go, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So let's go before our Father, humbling ourselves and casting all of our anxieties, all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. Father, we do love you and we do trust you, Father. We trust in your goodness. We trust in your faithfulness. God, that you will always keep your promises, that, that you will never uh, leave us or forsake us. And so, Father, we are trusting in who you are. We're trusting in your word. We're trusting in your promises, God. Uh, even when it's difficult, Father, help us to trust even more. Help us to trust especially in, in those difficult times. Because, God, you know that this is not always... Um, easy for us. God, we want to trust in ourselves. We want to trust in our, in our wallets, in our bank accounts, in our jobs, uh, in, in our society, in the people around us. But Father, ultimately all of those things, um, even when we trust, especially when we trust most deeply in ourselves, God, all of those things will fail us. And so you tell us to trust in you to rely on you because you are the only thing that will not fail. And so, Father, we pray that, that you would give us hearts that trust you, uh, that you would give us minds that, that believe what you've said and, and, and rely on your words as truth because your word is truth, Father. Um, but God, we struggle. We struggle with uh, that idea. We struggle with... Um, we struggle with so much, Father. And so we ask that you would, um, that you would take away that, that heart of stone that we have and give us hearts of flesh, God. Soften our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to be able to see you for who you are and trust and rely on your goodness, God. Father, this is, this is what we, um, we are doing now as we trust and, and as we rely on um, the, the work that our government has been doing on our behalf, uh, Father. We know that you have placed them in their positions for our good, um, even when we don't see it, even when we, we have a hard time understanding that. So, Father, we ask that, that you would give us hearts that trust, uh, not, not trust in man, not trust in our government, not trust in our laws or our constitution, but God, give us hearts that trust in you and trust that regardless of whether uh, these, are, these are circumstances that we disagree with or that we agree with or actions that, that are taken that we agree with or disagree with, God, we 
we want to trust you. We believe, help our unbelief. We trust you, help our distrustfulness. Because God, that is ultimately the, the only remedy to our worry, the only remedy to our anxiety, the only remedy to our fear, Father, is, is a heart that trusts you, a heart that seeks soundly, a heart that seeks consistently after you. So, Father, that is what we ask that you would give us. And, Father, that is, that is what we want to model to our friends and our family members and our communities, God. We want, to, we want to show them what it looks like to be completely without worry, to be completely without fear, to be completely trusting in a good God who holds all things and controls all things. Father, we, that is what we are called to, and, and we answer that call imperfectly. But God, we want you to use our imperfect, clumsy attempts to answer your call to then in turn call the world to you. God, every single person in, um, in this world needs you. They need your salvation. They need your mercy and your grace and your love. And so, Father, we ask that you would use us to call them to that, to show them what your love can do in our lives, to show them what your grace can do in our lives, to show them what your mercy can do in our lives. And so, Father, help us to show those characteristics. Help us to show you to the world around us, a world that desperately needs you and is longing for you, even if they don't know it. And Father, even as we show uh, the world what our lives look like when we've surrendered them to you, God, we also ask that you would give us the courage uh, to be able to speak those words, to be able to tell people um, the reason for the hope that we have in you. Father, that is, um, that is intimidating for us. We have a hard time with that, um, partially because sometimes we, we doubt ourselves. But God, when, when you want to use us, please give us those, those opportunities. Please give us that courage. Please give us the right words to speak so that those who are far from you might be drawn to you through our words and our lives. God, above all, that is what we want as individuals, and, and that is what we want as a church. Father, we want your gospel to advance. We want people who are broken to be healed. We want relationships that are broken to be healed. We want bodies that are sick and dying to be given a new lease on life. Father, all through the power all through your glory. God, that is the only source of our strength. That is the only source of our hope. And so, Father, we ask that, that you would give that to us in abundance. Father, especially for the, um, those families who are coming to the end of, end of school and the end of, um, the end of those times, God, looking at a summer that, that doesn't, that looks drastically different than we thought it would three or four months ago. God, please give our families patience. Please give our families perseverance. Um, and Father, help them to, to model uh, the love that you have shown us. God, you have shown us love. And so we want to show our families and, and our friends and our communities love. God, you have given us grace. And so we want to show grace to our families and to our communities. Father, you have given us mercy and we want to show those things to the world. But Father, we need your strength to do that. We need your strength to persevere in that. And so we, we admit our, our smallness, God. We can't do this on our own. But through you, in our weakness, we can do all of those things, God, because in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. You show how great you are by using weak, imperfect people like us. So, Father, that is what we ask that, that you would do. And, Father, we also ask that as, uh, as we open your word, that you would use it to reveal to us uh, the nature of, of sin. God, these strongholds of sin that have persisted in our lives, Father, cause us to hate that sin. 
cause us to loathe it, cause us to despise it, um, and, and cause us, God, to, to want to tear it down. And then, Father, as you give us that desire to, to be rid of sin, to leave that sin behind, God, do that work in our hearts. Tear down those strongholds of sin. Give us a heart that follows hard after you, because that is what we want. We want to have a heart that seeks for you. We want you, God. But we can't get there on our own. We need you. We need you to start that work. We need you to do that work. And we need you to complete that work. So that is what we want you to do in our lives today and every day. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing this morning in the book of 2 Timothy. Now this is a, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his, uh, to his young protege named Timothy. And Paul's writing this letter from prison to encourage Timothy to, to continue in the good work. He urges uh, Timothy to be a good soldier, to be an athlete, uh, to be a hardworking farmer, to be an approved worker. And he reminds Timothy uh, in the passage that we looked at last week uh, that our faith is built on a firm foundation. 
Uh, and he says in, in verse 19, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who, who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So he's going to continue that, that second idea of, of, letting, um, of letting those who uh, name the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Iniquity just being a fancy word for, for sin. So we're going to pick that back up in starting in verse 20. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So Paul begins this, uh, this passage with an object lesson. Um, and, and he uses um, items that would have been familiar to the, to the people of that time. Um, different vessels, different utensils, pots or, or, or such of, of gold and of silver, which would have been very valuable and, and treasured and esteemed, uh, but also things of, of wood and of clay, which would have been um, you know, treated as, essentially as disposable. Uh, and so to kind of illustrate that, we've, we've, got a couple of, um, we've got a couple of things here. So this is a, uh, I believe it's a gravy boat although I could be wrong on that. Uh, and uh, obviously uh, very, well, uh, uh, very well decorated. It says on the bottom that that's actually 23 karat gold around the rim there. Uh, and so this is, uh, this is a, a, an honorable vessel for an honorable use. And then in contrast to that, this is a tissue, right? You use this, you get it dirty, and you throw it away. Uh, similarly, you have this silver coffee pot, right? This is, this is an honorable vessel that is used for, for honorable purposes. It's treasured, uh, it's preserved, and, and used for just that purpose. In contrast to that, this is the trash bag, right? Also very useful, also very important. You fill it with trash, and then you throw it away. And that is its purpose. That is what it is used for. And so all of these things, all of these things that Paul is talking about here, all of these things that we've seen this morning, have, uh, they have a use. They have a purpose to fill. But some of these things are, are treasured. They're, they're washed, they're cleaned, they're cared for, they're polished. Uh, and then some of them are, are used and, and thrown away. They don't have any special value or any special purpose beyond their use. They were designed to be used and, and thrown away like that. But some are useful. Some are treasured. And some are both. And, and what Paul is telling us here is that if we desire to be useful, treasured vessels within the, within the house of, of the master within God's economy, if we want to be useful and treasured, then we need to be clean. We need to be free from the dishonorable, unrighteous stain of sin. And so he says, if, if we will cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable, then we will be both. We will be both treasured and useful. And this kind of speaks back to what we read in, in verse 19, where it says, if we are truly God's, if we truly belong to him, then we will depart from iniquity. Then we will want to depart from sin. We'll want to repent. We'll want to leave it behind. And, and as, we've, as we've read right here, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And, and that speaks again back to verse 15, talking about um, presenting ourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And so this should be our desire as Christians, right? To be useful vessels, to be approved workers, to be good servants of our Heavenly Father. And in, when we do that, when we've understood that, when we've pursued that, then we're not going to care any longer for the things of this world. We're not going to want to hang on to the things of this world, which is what he comes to in, in verse 22. 
So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So this, this idea of youthful passions, um, that's not just um, sort of sexual passion, but, but, the, but the things that appeal to those who are in the prime of their life. Um, and and there, are, there are a number of different commentators who list, listed off possibilities, but things like pride, ambition, a love and a desire for power. So these are the passions that Paul is talking about here that, that, are, that are prone to consume us and to cause us to lose our way. So he's calling Timothy here to not just and to leave those things behind, to leave those sins behind and to pursue these things instead. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And not just pursue them, but to pursue them along with, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So we are saved, remember, not just into a, into a personal relationship with Christ, but we are saved into a people. We are saved into his church. We are saved into the body of Christ. This is what um, Paul wrote to, and, and we studied this a, a number of months ago in Ephesians 2, when he said, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So we have this idea then that, that we are not just individually saved, but we are saved into this body. We are saved into unity with one another. Uh, and so we are called to this pursuit of righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Individually, yes, but we are also called to that pursuit collectively. We are to pursue these things together. Paul continues in, in verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And so he, this, is a, this is an ongoing pattern in Paul's letters to Timothy, uh, talking about these, these foolish quarrels, these, these uh, quarrels over words from, uh, from verse 14 that ruin the hearers, or verse 16 uh, in, in chapter 2, irreverent babble leading people into more and more ungodliness. And going all the way back into, into 1 Timothy, um, in 1 Timothy 1, uh, verse 5, he said, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion. So again, we have that idea. Vain discussion. Desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So a faith, then that is quarreling about these vain discussions and irreverent babble and, and quarrels about words is not an honest and sincere faith then. It's a, it's a knowledge that puffs up. And it says in 1 Corinthians 8 that, that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so a, a true faith then is a love that desires to teach others to do the same. Now, speaking to that idea of, of quarrels, he continues on. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So this phrase that Paul uses here, the Lord's servant, uh, that's, a, that's a phrase that he uses elsewhere um, and, and it, the literal translation is the Lord's slave. Um, and he uses that term to talk about an elder or, or a pastor, a leader within the church. Uh, and so what he's saying here is, is that a pastor, and, and by extension, every believer, should not be quarrelsome. 
So these are requirements then for those who would fill the role of an elder or those who would fill the role of a pastor. And the church, every single church and the church as a whole has a responsibility to hold an elder to account. Not just here, but, but in all situations. And so these are, these are questions that we need to ask ourselves. These are questions that you need to ask yourself. Is your pastor quarrelsome? Are they constantly seeking out fights? Is your pastor kind to everyone? Or can they be dismissive and rude to those who don't agree with them? Do they patiently endure evil? Do they correct opponents with gentleness? And if you cannot answer, even if you are one of the members here at the Duntown Church, if you cannot answer these questions in line with with this particular passage of Scripture, then you have a problem that needs to be addressed. So whether they are a new pastor or an old pastor, it doesn't really matter. Because you as the church bear responsibility for the teaching that you sit under and the people that you receive it from. This is one of the reasons why an online only or a Sunday morning only model of doing church doesn't really work. Because if you only see your pastor for an hour a week, even worse, an hour a week on screen where they can edit and cut and revise their statements... How can you assess whether or not they're, they're, they're conforming to this pattern that we see here in this passage of Scripture? And so you have a responsibility to yourself and to one another to hold your pastor, to hold me accountable to this. And additionally, while this instruction is directed specifically at those who would, who would teach the word, those who are pastors, those who are elders, there is a sense in which just as we are all called to be disciple makers, we are all called to teach the world around us about God. And so if we are quarrelsome, if we are not enduring evil, if we are correcting our opponents in a harsh or mean-spirited way, then we are not teaching the gospel well. We are not living the gospel well. So why is that so important? Why do we care about that? It's a good question. Glad you asked. Let's turn back to um, verse 25. God may perhaps grant them. So he's talking about the opponents from, uh, from earlier. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So through our lives and and through how we endure difficult people or endure opposition, God uses our witness to draw people to himself. This is the ultimate aim of all Christian ministry, both formal and and informal. Um, it's, It's not to make ourselves better people. It's not to just better society. But our purpose here on this earth is to lead people to a knowledge of God and to that place of repentance, to free others from the from the snare and trap of sin that was set for them and set for us by the devil. So this is how we are useful. This is why this is for what reason we have been set apart. Christ paid the penalty for our sin once for all. That's what it says in in Hebrews 10. And by that, we have been By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So we have been saved from our sin by the sacrifice of Christ. We have been redeemed. We have been justified. But when that happens, we're not just teleported back up into back to heaven, right? We're not just, you know, beam me up, Scotty, works here, work here is done. But we are here, we have been saved into this great mission. 
this great work. We are here because we have work to do. God is using us to accomplish something in this world. So that is why we are called to be a good soldier, a, a good athlete, a hardworking farmer, because they, the people around us that we love, they are trapped in their life of sin and death, crying out for somebody to rescue them. They're echoing Paul's cry in in Romans 7. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So friends, we know the answer. We know the solution to the brokenness and the hurt. The only hope for those who are dead in their sins and trespasses is Jesus Christ. But if we, but if we are still living our lives under the influence of sin, and even worse, if we are content to live our lives under the influence of sin, then how, we, then how can we hope to be useful, effective instruments of the Father, ready for every good work? If our lives are cups, If our lives are vessels, then they're filled with something. They can be filled with with sin. They can be filled with selfishness. They can be filled with envy or pride or anger or greed or fear. But the call of the gospel is to empty ourselves of those things, to repent of them, to leave them behind, and to cry out, to Jesus Christ to cleanse us of the stain of those sins and to fill us instead, not not with Christ, but to fill us with himself, to fill us with the living water, the living water that once we drink of it, we will never be thirsty again. But if we have not cleansed the cup of our lives from that sin, if we have not washed that sin out of our lives, if the inside of the cup is still filled with muck and slime, then how can we hope to pour clean living water into the lives of those around us? If our lives are a cup full of the mud and the slime of sin, then how can we pour the clear water of the gospel of Jesus Christ into the lives of those around us? The only way that we can do that is if we are fastidious about cleaning this cup. Every time we see a speck of dirt or a single slimy fleck, every time that we see sin in our lives, we are called to turn to Christ and say, look, it's sin, it's sin, I hate it. Get it off, get it out, get it out, get it out. And the promise of God is that when we do that, when we respond to sin with the same hatred that God expresses towards sin, it says in Isaiah 1.8, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Now it is important for us to remember that our salvation, our right standing with God, Our relationship with him is not by works. It's not by anything that we do. We don't earn God's love by being good or doing good things or doing more good things than bad. That's not how it works. We are saved instead by grace through faith in Christ. This is what it says in Ephesians 2, where it says, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is not anything that you have done. 
It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, not as a result of the things that we do, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we have been saved to holiness. We have been saved to witness. We have been blessed as Abraham was. We have been blessed to be a blessing. And so as we, as we understand that, we can come back to that, to that threefold imperative that, that we've talked about over the last few weeks, the, the greatest commandments and the great commission, to love God, to love others, and to make disciples. And so when we look at, at those three imperatives through the light of, of, what, we're, of what we've been looking at today, um, we're told to love God. Now, God is perfect and holy and completely without sin. And in fact, he hates sin. He cannot tolerate sin. It is against his nature to tolerate sin. And so if we love God, and God hates sin, then we will hate sin ourselves. We cannot serve both God and our sin. We will hate the one and love the other. And so if we love God, then we have to hate sin. And if we love sin, if we are so attached to our sin that we cannot let it go, then we cannot say that we love God. And so when we see sin in our lives, we cannot ignore it. We cannot minimize it. We cannot secret it away and, and, and stuff it into a, into a corner of our hearts. Because we are called to hate sin as God hates it. And we are called to seek to, to rip it out of our lives by any means necessary. And so if we love God, we will hate sin because he hates sin. So we are called to love God. We are also called to love others. Now, sin ultimately is the source of all of the hurt and all of the brokenness that exists in this world. Every single offense, every fractured relationship is broken in some way by sin in general. And sometimes, often, it those relationships are hurt and broken and fractured by our sin. And so if we love others, then we will pursue their good. We will pursue their benefit by seeking to eradicate sin and its influence in every sphere that we have any influence over. We will see, starting with our own hearts. So if we love others then we will seek to cut out the sin that causes us to sin against them. If we love God, we will hate sin. If we love others, we will hate sin. Because sin in general, and our sin in particular, hurts other peoples. We are called to love others. We are called to love God. We are called to love others. And we are called to make disciples. Now, this is ultimately where the rubber meets the road from this particular passage. So we are called to make disciples, to teach other people to love God and to love others. And as we just learned, to love God and to love others requires that we hate sin. And so as we teach others to love God and as we teach others to love other people, then that requires us to teach them to hate sin just as much as we do. But how? But how can we teach others to hate sin when we tolerate it? How can we teach others to hate sin when we embrace it ourselves? So if we want to be useful to our Heavenly Father, if we want to be used in the making of disciples 
of other people, then we must cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable. We must flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. We must pursue faith and love and peace. We must be kind to everyone, patiently enduring evil, gently correcting those who oppose us or those who disagree with us, so that they and all of those around us might be brought to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But if we love our sin, if we have failed to properly repent of it, then how can we call others to faith and repentance? Because we're calling them to do something, we're calling them to embrace something that we haven't embraced. But if we desire to be useful to our master, we need to first repent of our sins, renounce them, leave them behind, be done with them. We can't pick and choose which one of our favorite sins we're going to hang on to. I'm going to get rid of that one, but this one here I'm, I'm hanging on to. We choose our sin or we choose Christ. Those are the only two options available to us. So which one? Your sin or Christ? Which one will be your master? Which one will be your God? Which one will you devote your life to worshiping? If you are trapped in your sin, if you are hanging on to that sin, if you are stuck in that snare, then it says in Ephesians 2 that you are like the rest of mankind, a child of wrath. Because God hates sin. And if you are hanging on to your sin, if you love your sin, then you are loving the very thing that God hates. And you are under his wrath. But that passage, but that passage continues with two of the best words in all of the Bible. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us, to, made us alive together with Christ. Friends, I want you to know today that just because your sin has dictated your actions up to this point, up to today, even if nobody has ever known it, even if there haven't been any consequences, even if you've never revealed it, even if you've never been found out, if your sin has dictated the pattern of your life to this point, then there is grace and mercy. There is grace and mercy that has been extended to you through Jesus Christ. If you will answer his call, if you will repent, and place your faith in him. If you will let go of that sin. If you will leave it behind. And embrace him instead. Leave your sin behind. Repent of it. And follow after Christ. Place your hope and your faith and your trust in him. Because eventually your sin will betray you. Your sin will be found out. There will be a price to pay for that sin. If not in this life, then on that final judgment day. And so if you love your sin, there is a price to be paid for that. But if you love Christ, then there is grace and mercy and forgiveness available to you. Please take advantage of that. Let's pray. Father, this is, what we, this is what we long for. God, we long to be free of our sin. We hate it. God, we hate how it breaks our lives. We hate how it ruins lives. We hate, we hate how it has broken this world. And so, Father, we, we don't love our sin we don't want to love our sin. We want to hate our sin. So, Father, we ask that you would give us a fresh love for Christ. 
and a fresh hatred for our sin so that, Father, we could be used, so that you would be able to use us, so that you would use us to accomplish something beautiful and accomplish something wonderful in this world, God, so that you would use us to proclaim your gospel, to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. But, Father, before we can do that, we need to experience that forgiveness. We need to own that forgiveness. We need to love that forgiveness ourselves. So, Father, we thank you for your word and how it reveals to us our sin, how it reveals to us our mixed motives and our, and our, um, and our misplaced priorities. Father, we ask, we plead, we beg of you, God. Give us a, a hatred for our sin. And, Father, give us a love for you. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness, God. Wash us clean like a dish, God. Wash away the stain and the shame of our sin and forgive us. And God, as you forgive us, Father, we want to be used greatly. We want to be effective instruments. We want to be we want to be good soldiers. We want to be dedicated athletes. We want to be hardworking farmers. God, we want to be used by you. We want to see your kingdom values accomplished here on this earth, Father. We want to proclaim your name to the nations. So, Father, as you are cleansing us of our sin, as you are forgiving us, God, we beg of you to use us. Use us as individuals. Use us as a church. Use us as a universal church, God, to proclaim your glory to the nations. Because, Father, we know that the time is short. and The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. And so, Father, prepare us to be good workers. Prepare us to be workers that are sent out to reap a harvest of souls, God. Souls that were once lost but are now found. Prodigal sons returned home to their heavenly father. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. That is ultimately our hope. Our hope is that, uh, that we would be effective instruments, that we would be useful tools to our master. Uh, if that's something that you are interested in as well, uh, if you would like to find out more about following Jesus, I'd encourage you to reach out and, uh, and find out more about what that looks like for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace.